Okay, so today we are in part two of a series called Tug of War. And we're talking about this thing that all of us do in our relationships with other people, in our relationship with God. We all like to play this tug of war between our will and God's will or somebody else's will. And if you're in any relationship anywhere, that other person has expectations of you. They have things they want you to do and you feel it. And when you don't like it, you start playing tug of war. I start playing tug of war. And we do this, especially in our relationship with God. So you've probably noticed there are things that God wants you to do that you don't want to do. And in those moments when God kind of speaks to me and says, hey, I want you to do this. And I say, no, thanks. Like, uh, uh-uh, I'm not. I pick up the rope and I start playing tug of war with God. And I, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And in those moments, I want to win the tug of war and I want it my way instead of God's way. And um, here's some things that we learned last week that help us understand God's will for our lives and how to not so much engage the tug of war so much with, with God. So here's a few things that we learned. So last week we learned that God has a will for our lives. God has a will. We learned that in Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So that verse tells us God has a good plan for us. But do you believe that? I asked you that last week. Do you believe that God has a good plan for you in that situation that you're in? Maybe you've been given a bad health diagnosis recently. Do you believe God has a good plan for that? Do you believe God can work that out for his good and your, your good as well, or other people's good? Do you believe that God has a good plan for your finances, for that relational dysfunction that's going on right now, that God can bring something great out of that? Do you believe God has a good and perfect plan for your life? Sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. And when I don't believe that, I go right back into my tug of war and my relationship with God. Another thing we learned last week is that not only does God have a plan for us, a good plan for us, he has a mission for us. God has a great mission for all of us. And, and here's what we learned that mission was. It was out of Genesis chapter one, verse 28. We were looking at the story of Adam and Eve and we found that our true mission in life is to obey God and join him in taking care of everyone and everything in our world. That's the greatest mission that we could all be involved in. That's the first mission that ever came to planet Earth and the same mission that God is asking us to, to be a part of today, to obey him and to take care of everyone and everything around us. But we learned last week that if we don't embrace that mission, we will give in to what we called our shadow mission. And let me explain what shadow mission means. A shadow mission is a lesser mission. It's a mission that distracts us away from God's true mission for our, our lives. And it's a mission that, that we may think, you know, it's a good mission. It's not a horrible mission. It may not be God's mission, but it's kind of my mission. It's a mission, ultimately, whether it feels like it's horrible or not, it leads us away from God's mission and it keeps us from God's mission. And we watched Adam and Eve give into that shadow mission. So here again is our mission in life. Our mission is to obey God and to take care 
of everyone and everything that God's entrusted to us, but our shadow mission is to be God. And we watched Adam and Eve do that. We watched them say, listen, I don't want you telling me what to do. I don't want you telling me what I can and can't eat. I don't like those kind of instructions. So they picked up the rope. They played tug of war with God and they won. And that decision brought all kinds of painful consequences to us still today. We still face consequences because of Adam and Eve's decision to play tug of war with God and to give in to a shadow mission. And guess what? We still suffer, other people suffer when we pick up the rope, we play tug of war with God, and when we give in to our own shadow mission. Shadow missions bring painful consequences. Painful consequences in our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And we're gonna see that today in a big way in our Bible story that's found in the Old Testament book of Esther. So if you've got a Bible with you, I encourage you to flip over to the book of Esther. Um, if you don't, verses are going to come up on the screen. If you need a Bible to take home with you, we've got Bibles at the back of each seating section. They're our free gift to you. Please grab one of those on your way out. Now, let me tell you about this story, the background of this story. We're going to look at two courageous women today and how they refuse to give in to someone else's shadow mission and refuse to give in to their own shadow mission. So here's kind of the history of the story. The Israelites, who were God's specially chosen people, around 600 BC were defeated in battle by King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians. And so King Nebuchadnezzar came over to Israel, defeated them, and took them back, many of them, back to slavery where they lived in captivity. Then years later, King Xerxes of the Persians came along. He was bigger, badder, better than King Nebuchadnezzar, and he defeated King Nebuchadnezzar, and then his kingdom expanded. So he was in control of a whole lot more people, a whole lot more kingdoms, had a whole lot more slaves of all these different nations that he had defeated as well as King Nebuchadnezzar had defeated. So our story centers around Persia and specifically the capital of Persia, which is Susa, which is in modern day Iraq or modern day Iran, excuse me. Now here are the main players in this story. We've got King Xerxes, again, most powerful king alive at that time. We have Queen Vashti, which, which is his queen. We have Haman, which is his right-hand man, so King Xerxes' right-hand man. We've got Mordecai, which is a Hebrew slave. And then we have Esther, which is Mordecai's young cousin. And I'm going to explain a little bit more about these characters as the story unfolds. So we're going to start in Esther chapter 1, verse 1. So these events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Ethiopia. So a big region that he had there. And at that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all of his nobles and officials. He invited all of the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. And they sell, the celebration lasted, get this, 180 days. We're talking six months of a celebration a tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and pomp and splendor of his majesty. 
And when it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people from the greatest to the least who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. Now I'm going to skip down to verse seven. Uh, Get this. Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. So he was a very generous guy. He's given out alcohol everywhere. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking for the king had instructed all of his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. Some of you are going like, why don't I live in Persia? You know, and li- you know, live under King Xerxes' rule. So King Xerxes was a very self-centered, egotistical guy. And a little bit generous, too. He liked to show off all of his wealth. He liked people to think he was so great and cool. So he's like, hey, I got a great idea. For six months, oh, hey, plus a week after that, we're going to just celebrate me. And I'm going to give you all the alcohol you want, no restrictions at all. Um, Do you think that might have been a wild party? Could have been a wild party. Now, in verse 10... It says this, so on the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was high in spirits because of the wine, that's a real sophisticated way to say that he was rather intoxicated. (laughs) He told the seven eunuchs who attended him, verse 11, to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. Now, why do you think he wanted Queen Vashti to come to the drunken party? Do you think it was because he wanted to show all of his military officials how smart she was at military strategy? And what was it so he could show off how brilliant she was with some of her new engineering designs for the kingdom? No, he wanted them to lust after her. And so it it says he wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty for she was a very beautiful woman. So here's where King Xerxes failed to embrace his mission and gave into his shadow mission. His mission as a king from God should have been to take care of everyone in his kingdom. And some would say, receiving the alcohol, hey, he's doing a great job of that. But when you look at it and really it's truth and the reality of it, he was doing a terrible job. He should have protected his queen. He should have protected her from any kind of of abuse like that, where he would parade her around like a piece of property for his guys to grope over and um, lust after. And when he did that, when he made that choice, he reinforced one of the greatest lies that women face today. And that lie is, that your value as a woman comes from how you look. Can any women identify with that lie? Many millions of women have been held captive to that lie, even to this very day. And as a husband, as a father with three daughters, I see the effects of it. I see it happening in them. I see it on a a regular basis. And God, again, has said our greatest mission in life is to obey him, take care of everyone and everything around us. So guys, are you taking care of the women in your life? 
Are you taking really good care of them? Are you communicating on a regular basis? Your value comes from the the reality that you were created in the image of God and that makes you priceless. Do you communicate that to the women in your life on a regular basis? Or do you reinforce the lie that says your value comes from what you look like? Ladies, your value doesn't come from what you look like. It comes from a creator who lovingly designed every part of who you are, the parts that you like and the parts that you hate. He loves every part of you. So guys, we have a special task from God and that's to take care of every woman that's in our influence. Yeah, even maybe that boss of yours that's a lady. Yeah. God wants us to take really good care of every woman that that God has placed in our lives. Ladies, God wants you to do the same thing with men. Um, Let me talk to kind of everybody now. I'll generalize this. If you are married, God wants you to take great care of your spouse. Are you doing that? Would your spouse say, I feel so valued. I feel so loved because of how you treat me. You know, and I was processing through this even last night. I had to honestly say, you know, the past like week or so, I have not been doing a good job of valuing my wife. And if she were here, she'd tell you. She'd tell you, you know what? It's just been kind of bumpy lately. It hasn't been all that great. It hasn't been all that valuable. You know, I haven't really taken care of her the way I need to take care of her. So if you're married, you're supposed to take care of your spouse. If you're a boss, you're supposed to take care of your employees. Your employees were not placed there in your care so that you could give commands and enjoy the power that you've been given. Your employees were placed there so that you could take great care of them and help them become the best people, not just the best employees for you, but the best people that they can possibly be. Would your employees say, you know what? I love coming to work because my boss, my supervisor, they believe in me. They help me to become the best person that I'm supposed to be. If you're a teacher, you have that job with students. It affects every relationship we could ever be in, whether you're at the top of an organization, the bottom of an organization, a top of a relationship, the bottom of a relationship, however you feel in the context of that relationship, God wants us to take care of everyone that God has placed in our influence. So how are you doing at that? We all need Queen Vashti's in our lives. We all need people like, like Queen Vashti. And listen to what Queen Vashti said to the most powerful person alive at that time. She said, um, so you want me to come to a drunken party with a bunch of men who are going to look at me? Um, no, thanks. Rather not. So how do you think the most powerful man alive felt about his courageous wife? Do you think he said, way to go, honey. Like, good job. Like, I was a little bit off on that. Like, sorry, bad thought. You know, must have been the alcohol. I was high in spirits. Um, Like, a little bit off there, but thanks for correcting me. Thanks for getting me back in line. Do you think he said that? Absolutely not. He was furious. And in verse 15, he said to his advisors, he said, what must be done to Queen Vashti? What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders? Here's what his officials told him in chapter 1, verse 16. Mimikin answered the king and his nobles, 
Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to this contempt and anger. So if it please the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and the Medes that cannot be revoked, it should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. And I just love the the irony of this. So she's not going to come see you. We're going to make an order that she can't come see you. The king's got some brilliant guys around him. So verse 20, when this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. The king and his nobles thought this made good sense. So he followed Mimikin's counsel. He sent letters to all the parts of the empire, to each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his home and should say whatever he pleases. How do you think that went? Do you think that went real well? Do you think all the ladies went, oh, I have such respect for you now that you've passed this law and you can say whatever pleases you? Like, no. The king encouraged a bunch of people to give into their own shadow mission. And here's what I learned from, one of the things I learned from that little portion of scripture. The king surrounded himself with a bunch of people that would reinforce his shadow mission a bunch of people who would uh, allow him, enable him to live out the wrong mission in his life. And he didn't have people around him who would stand up and say, you know what, I'm gonna challenge this shadow mission that you're living out of. I'm gonna challenge this tug of war where you think you've won in your relationship with God. I'm gonna stand up and challenge it. The reality is that the king needed more Queen Vashti's in his life. And I think we all do. Let me tell you about my Queen Vashti. About 20 years ago, my wife and I started attending a church in our town called Palm Coast Community Church, where I later went on staff, and then they later launched us out to start Epic. So we started attending that church. Uh, We had a young family at the time, and we started going. And um, one of the, the spiritual growth uh, opportunities that they had for everyone was called small groups. And we call them community groups, but the same concept. So uh, we started attending and my wife said, you know, I think I want to go to a couples group. And I, like Queen Vashti, said, no, <laughs> we're not doing that. I don't know those people. I don't like those people. I don't want those people to know anything about us. Now, my no is not very effective because shortly after that, we went to our first couple small group. (laughs) And as we sat in our first couple small group, my wife did the unthinkable. She talked about us. And she shared with the people in the group that we weren't quite perfect. Now, I had a real problem with that because... Again, I didn't want these people to know anything about me because I didn't know anything about them. I mean, like, I needed dirt first, I guess. But I really didn't want them to, to know anything about me. And I wanted everybody to think that I was perfect. Like, 
I'm the perfect man. I'm the perfect husband. I'm the perfect dad. I'm the perfect guy. And she was kind of messing with the image that I wanted to, to communicate to everybody else. And on our way home from that group, I said, don't you ever tell anything about us again to anyone ever. And then we went back to our small group. I'm like, this isn't really working. Like, I got to get better at my, you know, authority. Apparently, you know, she didn't read Esther or the king said I could say whatever pleased me. And she said, you know what? I'm I'm not really going to buy into that shadow mission. Like, we're not perfect. Trent, you're not perfect. We got some things to work on. And I think these people can help us. Now, after 20 years of doing life in small groups, I am so grateful for a wife who would not help me embrace my shadow mission. I'm so grateful for a wife who would stand up and say, listen, like I love you too much to let you go down that path. I'm gonna challenge this, this shadow mission you think you wanna give to everybody, this image that you're perfect, we're perfect, because it's not true. I'm not buying into it. I'm not playing that game. I was not grateful in the moment for that woman. I am so grateful today. She has helped me become more of the man that God wants me to become. She has been a a critical player that God has used to help me make different decisions on the journey of obeying God and not giving into my shadow mission. So my question for you is, do you have someone like that? Do you have someone in your life? Do you have a Queen Vashti? Do you have someone who will speak hard truth to you? Someone that will look you in the eye and say, listen, I'm not buying into that shadow mission. I know you think it sounds great. You've you've convinced yourself and you're working really hard to convince me that we should do this thing, but it's gonna lead to pain and sorrow. I'm not giving into that. And I'm gonna challenge you not to give into that either. Do you have that person? If you do, will you thank them today? They need to be thanked for the influence that they have in your life and how God has used them to help you become a different person. If you don't have that person in your life, why? Why not? Is it because you just have never invited anybody into that part of your world? Are you like I was? You're like, man, the thought of like getting to know people and especially in a church context, like no thanks. You keep people at a distance because of that or, or, or just have you never pursued those kind of relationships? One of the places that you can find people like that is in our community groups. Our community groups are full of people who really want to obey God and take care of everyone that's around them. They're full of people who do not want to give in to a shadow mission, that really want to live out God's plan for our lives. So you could find those relationships if you don't have them right now. And all you got to do is take that step of faith, go to a community group meeting, Go to an info meeting, show up at starting point, show up at our our FPU class, just show up and start learning how God can use other people to help you fulfill the mission that he has for you. All right, back to our story. So chapter two, verse one, says this, after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree that he had made. So his uh, personal attendant suggested, 
Let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let, let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. And Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatments. Remember the lie that women believe? Hey, it's all about your looks. It's all about beauty. They're going to be given beauty treatments. And after that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. And this advice was very appealing to the king. So he put the plan into effect. Now, let me explain what's going on here in this context way back then, because we will not relate to this at all. We could never imagine turning the process of selecting a spouse into some kind of reality TV show where multiple women try to win the affection of one bachelor in hopes that they will be chosen as the one. Like, we could never imagine that happening in our culture, but that was how superficial people were back then. One of the contestants in this beauty pageant was a young Jewish girl named Esther. And uh, the Bible says that she won the contest. It's just amazing going from slavery to being the queen. And uh, she captured the king's attention. Chapter 2, verse 17 says that the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. Amazing moment. But her victory would be short-lived because she would be confronted with the king's shadow mission and Haman's shadow mission and her own shadow mission. So Haman, again, Xerxes' right-hand man, he had his own shadow mission. It was an evil shadow mission. He saw the power that King Xerxes had and he wanted it for himself. And so he started manipulating uh, behind the king. He wanted people to bow down and worship him. And there was one guy that wouldn't do it, Mordecai, Esther's cousin. So Haman would come through town and want everybody to bow down and worship him. And Mordecai said, I'm not giving in to your shadow mission. You are not the king. I'm not worshiping you. And Haman hated that. He couldn't stand Mordecai. So what did he do? He manipulated the king into passing a law so that on a certain day, all the Jews would be killed. What a shadow mission. He wanted an entire race to be wiped off the planet because one guy wouldn't play into his shadow mission of being his own God. It's a horrible shadow mission. Mordecai realized, hey, there's only one person that can talk to the king and possibly change the king's mind. Remember, the king has been high in spirits, so he hasn't really been making wise decisions lately. And Haman took advantage of that. So Mordecai sends a message to Esther and says, Esther, you got to do something. Like, you got to go talk to the king. And then he makes this famous statement in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. He says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Famous statement, very powerful. And I'd like us to, to process that for ourselves for just a few moments. Who knows in your relationship in your marriage, that maybe God has placed you in this marriage for just such a time as this? 
who knows, maybe God made you a supervisor or gave you that job or gave you that opportunity or whatever has, has maybe happened in your life. You look around your world and hey, you're in a spot right now. You're in a class at school. You're on a team at school. You're in a whatever. Maybe God has placed you for just such a time as this. And God wants you to use your influence for good. God wants you to use your influence to help people live out their true mission in life. God wants you to take care of the people that he's entrusted to you in that moment, in that spot. God has not given us those things. God has not given us opportunities. He's not given us positions at work. He's not given us places in relationships. He's not given us anything he's ever given us so we can use it for us. He's given it so we can help take care of people around us. So maybe you've been placed in that spot for just such a time as this. So Mordecai, he challenged Esther. He said, Esther, don't give in to Haman's shadow mission. Uh, don't em embrace uh, your own shadow mission. You need to stand up and you need to do something. Now here was Esther's shadow mission. She went from slavery to the queen of the most powerful kingdom in the world. Now, if you were in that spot, like if you went from kind of the dungeons to the top spot, the top office, the top house, what would you do in that spot? I mean, you could potentially lose everything. You could lose all that you've now had. And she stood to lose everything. And here's what made her shadow mission so appealing. It was illegal for her to go to the king unless he asked her to come. I mean, he was like so egotistical. He's like, if, if you show up and I didn't call you, you're dead. And she knew that. And so she sends this message to Mordecai, like the king hasn't called for me. Even though they'd been married, he had many women in his life. He hadn't seen her in over a month. And she says, listen, if I just show up at his work one day and say, hey, hubby, I'd like to talk about, you know, Haman's shadow mission, I'm dead. So she knew that, and she sent that message back to him, and yet she processed that. Mordecai talked to her again in chapter 4, verse 16. She sends this message again back to Mordecai, and she says, go gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same, and then though it is against the law, I will go in and see the king. If I must die, I must die. So here's this young Jewish girl who says, you know what? Like, I am scared to death, but I'm not gonna cave in and be intimidated by Haman's shadow mission. I'm not gonna cave in and be intimidated by my husband's shadow mission. I'm not going to give into my own shadow mission and just stay focused on keeping myself safe. And if I die, I must die. If you are super curious about what happened next, I encourage you to read your Bible later today. It's a great story. It's such a great story. Um, Book of Esther. Um, read the last part of it. And there's so much wrapped up in this story. And I really encourage you to read this story about two women who refused to give in to their own shadow mission. And they stood up and said, we're not. So if you want to know if uh, Esther died or not, if you want to know how that played out, 
Read your Bible later today or this week. All right, now, let me go back into this story just a little bit for us. There's a few closing thoughts, things I want us to think about. And the first is this. What's your relational shadow mission? Are you taking care of everybody that God's entrusted to you? Or are you using them for your own purposes? Are you using somebody around you? Are you using somebody at home? Are you using somebody you're in a dating relationship with? Are you using somebody in a a work relationship? Because there's something that, that you're trying to get out of them. You're trying to be God in your own life and to control them. Are you using people? Are you taking care of people? Here is a great way to get an honest answer. Ask someone in your life who you know won't tell you what you want to hear. And don't ask people like the king did, who will say, oh, you're great, you know, go ahead and use the people that are around you. That's fantastic. Ask someone who will look you in the eye and say, listen, uh, I love you enough to speak truth to you. I'm not going to let you live out this shadow mission. I'm going to challenge you to embrace God's true mission for you. Do you have people like that in your life? If you do, ask someone. And as you listen, even though it may be painful, ask them to help you learn how to take care of people that God's entrusted to you. It's the greatest mission that we could ever be on. If you don't have those people, I would say get into one of our community groups. So my next question is, are you in a community group? Are you in a group where you can grow in your relationship with God and other people? That's how God designed us to live. That's why Jesus gathered his disciples together and he taught them in the context of a small group how to fulfill the mission God had for them. God, I think, wants all of us to live out of the expression of a small group and how to to do life together. So if you aren't in a small group, I encourage you to get in one. Here's my next question. Who do you need to use your position, your influence to help? You've been placed at work. You've been placed at home. You've been placed um, in our community. Um, You've been given uh, opportunities, whether those opportunities are good or bad. Like, you know, again, like I said earlier, it may be a health issue you're facing right now, but that health issue might get you around people who desperately need to hear Jesus, people you would never come in contact with before. Who do you need to use your influence to help? Maybe God has placed you there for just such a time as this. Will you embrace that? And will you say, even though, hey, I don't really like this spot I'm in right now, God, you've placed me here for a reason. Open my eyes to all the people who desperately need me to use my influence to help them live out their true mission in life. Will you do that? My last question. Are you enabling someone to live out their shadow mission? Maybe you're in a relationship right now and You're just kind of helping that person along. Could be a family member, could be a boss, could be a coworker, could be anybody. That you're just kind of helping them live a destructive life or live out their own shadow mission and it's getting worse for them and you're just kind of going along because you're intimidated or for whatever other reason you're not saying something. Will you say something? Will you love them enough? Will you care about them enough? Will you take care of them? Even those people who are like, man, that person is hard to take care of. I'd rather God just kind of take care of them, you know, out there with a lightning strike um, than me have to talk to them. God has placed you in their lives for just such a time as this, and maybe you're the person to speak up, to lovingly confront them so that they don't live out their shadow mission and you don't embrace your own.
So are you enabling? Are you empowering people? God wants us to empower people, not enable people. So are you enabling them? Are you empowering them? Next week, we are going to talk about how even organizations and even churches can give into shadow missions and get off track in their relationship with God, even though they don't recognize it at first. So I hope you'll come back for that. So if you would, let's pray together and then we will be done for today. God, Lord, just so grateful for stories in scripture like Esther's story and Queen Vashti's story and Mordecai's story and even King Xerxes' story. We learn so much from these stories where, where we watch people give into a shadow mission. And sometimes, Lord, it's easy for us to sit on the outside of a story and say, wow, that's a bad thing. I can't believe they did that. Like They shouldn't have made that decision. And yet when we look at our own life, sometimes we give into the exact same shadow mission, a mission where we try to be God in our life instead of obeying you. And instead of taking care of everyone in the, our lives uh, that you've placed in our lives around us. So God, there's a lot that's been kind of discussed today. That you don't want us to give in to our own shadow mission. That you want us to have people in our lives who will help us embrace your true mission in our lives. So Lord, for those who need to get connected in a small group, I pray that they would. I pray that they would take that leap of faith and even like my story years ago would just keep going back and I had the incredible influence of my wife to help me do that and to see how doing life in community could transform me and I'm so grateful for that because I could not imagine life without a community group. Lord, some of us desperately need Queen Vashti's and Mordecai's in our lives. And I pray that you would help us find them. I pray that we would go on a, a mission for them. We would look for them, search for them. And when we find them, we would invite them to speak truth to us. And Lord, you're asking all of us to be Queen Vashti's, to be Mordecai's, to be Esther's in our own lives. And refuse to give in to somebody else's shadow mission and to challenge them to live out the true mission that you have for them. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to get over our fear. Help us to embrace your mission so much that we say, you know what, that's the only thing that matters in my life and I don't ever wanna give in to a shadow mission. So Lord, teach us how to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here today, everybody. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.